Yeah. So for the longest time, I honestly thought alpaca was just a word that my wife made up. Wait, why? I don't get it. Why? Because she'd constantly say, you know, you keep up this bullshit and I'll pack a bag for oh. you to get out of here. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a uh, well, different... very nice. Well, yeah. I think she misinterpreted. Oh, wait. Hold on a second. We're rolling. All right. Let's roll. I'm Rich. And I'm Mark. And we are Two, two guys, guys on Block, Block Island. Island. What shall we do with all right, listeners, we're in for a treat today. We have a guest in the studio with us. Uh, I don't know that much about him, um, but I'm excited to learn. I uh, came to Block Island. I do know that he set up a, a year-round business here and has managed somehow to uh, fall prey to being on the town council at this particular time. So, uh, everybody, Sven Rizm. Thanks Hello, for Sven. joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for letting me be here. I'm honored. Wow. The we're, honor's we're all ours. Yeah. Yeah, Thank well, you for taking time. Yeah. It's lots of honor then. That's it. So the first question we ask all of our guests, Sven, is uh, what's your Block Island story? When did you get here? How did you get here? Uh, what made you stay? All that good stuff. And we only have an hour, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, you know, the, the compress of the cliff notes. Version. Okay. We'll give you yeah. cliff notes. Time for somebody to just say, if yeah. you have to ask, you don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, my fa- parents um, built a house here in 67, uh, way out on the north end. And they had been renting or we had been renting for about 10, 12 years before then. So whether it was living in Joan Dolan's house or Alice Huggins' house or the back sheds, mostly on the north end of the island. But sort of all through the 60s, um, we were renting, and then they built in 67. Uh, so I spent all my summers out here as a kid, uh, you know, doing the normal child-kid things. Uh, those days, we were usually in bare feet and walking around the island, and it was a very different environment. Hitchhiking was still hitchhiking. a thing. Yeah. I was just going to say yeah. it. That's yeah. like the, I mean, and, and it wasn't even hitchhiking because you'd put out your thumb, sort of, but somebody would already have stopped because they know you. Yep. And, you know, when you're the little blonde kid, it would be like, okay, you're one of three. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. And, As um, in the list in your pocket your mom gave you. Yeah, These exactly. are three people. Do not get in the car. Yeah, with yeah, them. yeah. <laughs> Anybody else, fine. Yeah. Well, those, those were, yeah, it's another day. But I think you can ask Ben McAloon about what they used to do with um, dr- uh, people who had too much to drink. Uh, they would take him out to the north end and let him walk back. Oh, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so they built a house in 67. We were out here. And then I worked in a number of places from, you know, working for Tiny Sprague, working in houses with Joe. Uh, I um, taught sailing. I worked at the Black Island Marina, which is now the boat basin, for about three years. You know, when you're 15 years old or 16 years old, you think you're really cool driving a, a trash truck. And cleaning the bathrooms of the ore <laughs> until suddenly you realize how gross those bathrooms. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we've all been there. <laughs> so I did all that, um, and then uh, sort of um, uh, took a life that's off island for a while. And pretty much, um, you know, we lived. My got married. Uh, my wife and I lived in New York for a while. We lived in Philadelphia. Lived in Minneapolis. City, city like New York City yeah, or suburbs? Yeah. No, New York City. Oh, nice. So yeah. we lived on the Upper West Side for, I probably was there for about six and a half, seven years. And uh, then went down to Philly for graduate school, and both of us went to grad school down there. And then went out to Minneapolis, worked at a big cereal company, General Mills, uh, for many years in the food industry, and then came and, and worked in Connecticut. 
all with a lifelong mission of getting here. And the question got to be, how do you get here? Do you come out here early and sort of do the Block Island gig? Or do you sort of lead another life and then say, okay, how do we save some money? How do we do something? Pull the trigger. And our um, 2010 was a big year for us, 2009. Our daughter graduated high school and our two sons, we have twin boys, graduated college. And we moved out here all within six weeks. So it was literally, <laughs> honey, you're, you're going to college. You guys are gone. We're out here. I mean, there was, there was literally days in between. So it's like, bye, sweetie. Yeah. Have a good time at we'll school. We'll miss you. Quick, Grab go, the bags. Go, go, go. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So then we um, came out here. And as we got out here, it became, what are we going to do? Right? We're, we're young 50s. And what do we do when we get out here? We definitely couldn't retire. And we had always loved fiber. My wife, is uh, Laura, is an incredible knitter, uh, really learned to weave, uh, loved fiber arts. And the goal was then do something with fiber or yarn. We talked about, as you know, there was, it used to be a yarn store out here many years ago and didn't do very well. Um, uh, and then we looked and, and met the people that make equipment to make yarn. And if you've been to the mill, if you've never been to Northlight Fibers, it's hard to get a hold of. But when you get there and you take a tour, you realize how cool it is, right? You start with alpaca fiber or, you know, cashmere, wool, whatever it may be. And you start with this loose fiber and then you end up spinning it, carding it, plying it, making yarn, and then making really lovely garments. And... Um, so we wanted to do something in fiber. We fell in love with the idea of manufacturing, and we wanted to actually sort of um, prove, if I can use that word, or demonstrate that a year-round business could work on Black Island. Yes. There really aren't many. Um, yeah, there's a school and there's a grocery store, right. obviously construction, obviously all the support systems and services, but there aren't many standalone businesses, and that was a big goal. What we didn't realize um, when we first started talking to Justin Abrams, who was um, still one of my favorite people on the island and just a classic person, um, uh, when he agreed to build us a building. So we have been leasing a building from them now for about 11 years. And that is, let's do a quick location. That's okay, on right the 16, next to the... Yep, on the 1661 farm yep. and garden. Uh, we're sort of in the back right next to the spring house, the Atlantic... Um, uh, yeah, and, so when you when you come to the island, if you're coming out to visit and you've never been here, uh, as you're going up on your journey to visit the Southeast Lighthouse, that's called Spring Street, it's going to be on your right-hand side. You'll see signs for the animal farm, and you'll see the North Light Fiber, and it's, it's beautiful. There's a vegetable garden on the right next to the entryway in. and uh, Emus, ostriches, cool little, alpacas. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Camels, yaks, yeah. Scottish Highland bulls. I mean, it's an incredible collection, and... and Thanks, Rich. If you haven't been here, you definitely need to see the farm. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. And, and it's free. Uh, there's no charge. You can get up and pat some of the animals. You can see lemurs, like you said. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really an amazing collection that all stemmed from this gentleman named Justin Abrams. What's the and, oxen's name again? Uh, well, the the yak is named Justice. Okay. And, and uh, <laughs> then there's all kinds of animals. Oh, yeah. And, um, and it's an incredible place. And we approached Justin because of fiber. There are a lot of fiber animals. We use all the fiber from the farm we can. Um, we approached him about building the, the mill. And he thought we were absolutely crazy. Uh, he thought this is the most ridiculous thing in the world. But he looked at me and he goes, you know, 
when you fail, I look forward to having a barn. And I said, I said, Justin, don't ever expect to have a barn because based on that statement, we won't fail. <laughs> so it worked out well. He knew what he was doing. Except he was motivating. Yeah. It was his, yeah. yeah. He yeah. definitely knew what he was That's doing. That's right. Yeah, as soon as you can't pay for that tractor anymore, <laughs> it's mine. I'll, I'll have a tractor. Yeah. Guess what? You'll never get that tractor. Yep. Yeah. And, and it was, an, uh, he, you know, unfortunately he passed away a few years ago, but incredible relationship. And so Justin agreed to build this building. Uh, everything was set. And we went to the town and said, we want to start a small business, you know, really reserved in size, six people, five people employed year round. Everything's right by the plan, all that. There was no permitted use to make a product on Block Island. So we technically could not build the building. Huh. And so um, we then spent the next 13 months and 12 public hearings changing the zoning code to allow for something called light assembly. So now, Rich, if you wanted to start a little jewelry company or your daughter wants to start making, you know, wood sculptures. I got you. Yeah, yeah, you can do that with a real company versus just in a basement or in a garage and things like that. So you're like the Henry Ford of Block Island. You're bringing in have industry, <laughs> the industrial revolution to Block Island. But the light assembly means there's limits <laughs> small, to what? Small, compact. Yeah. And basically manufacturing small levels. Cottage yeah. industry. Yeah. It is a cottage industry. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's more of the arts type yeah. thing. So uh, fiber is a good example. So we did that, and um, in somewhat record time, I think it sort of amazed everybody. And from then on, Northlight Fibers has been incredible. It's and been how fun. did you know how to, did you have experience with fibers, or did Laura before this? I'm sorry. So how did you guys figure this out? You watch, I mean, YouTube videos? <laughs> so YouTube U is a really good degree to really? get. Yeah, yeah. YouTube University. Yes. No, yeah. I'm just joking. YouTube wasn't around then. Right. So, you know. That's where I got my we, masters. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we um, learned by trial and fire. Uh, we basically got the equipment. We had, we had done about a week of training somewhere else up in, um, up in Prince Edward Island. We had done a number of things where um, we had worked in different mills just for a day or two, getting yeah. familiar. But honestly, uh, like any industry, you realize how unique the environment is. So humidity is a big deal here. Because uh, the fog rolls in, fog rolls out. It changes everything in production. Um, the weather is a big thing, given the kind of uh, environment we live in. Um, you know, so so we learned a lot. I would say the first nine months, there were probably many days with tears and many days of, of depression. But um, <laughs> well, but after nine months, you sort of say, wait a minute, we can do this. And and um, and then after nine months, Laura was like, "Sven, stop crying, please. Yes, You're really right. having yes. to stop Get crying. off the floor. Yes, yes. Get off the floor. I It'll don't be want fine. Justin to have a barn. <laughs> <laughs> We're not giving that barn up. No. Um, yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. And so we learned a lot. Um, Karen Logan uh, is a, a partner with ours and just an incredibly good person. And so the three of us pretty much run the mill. Then folks like Renee Batchelder works in the store. So we got a number of people that that work in different areas. So it's a highly specialized industry you're in, though. So who is your clientele? I mean, I'm assuming you do uh, predominantly online sales or no? Is it a lot of it here? Uh, we do a couple of different things. We do a lot of shows. So so stepping back for a minute, our primary target is really high-end hand knitters. Okay. And so, you know, if your mother ever made a sweater or a hat or whatever it would be, the person that's going to take what they call a skein of yarn or a ball of yarn, knit that into a garment, you know, gloves, hats, sweaters, scarves, shawls, whatever. Um, now the question is how to get to them. 
And so we do a number of things. Uh, first, we go to a lot of shows. The beauty of Northlight Fibers, uh, most people think we're absolutely crazy because if you think about selling wool in the summer, right, all tourism here is based on summer, uh, meaning it's T-shirts, it's beer, it's, it's, it's summer activities, surfboards. But it gets cool at night here. It does, yeah. right? Yeah. But for us, where our big season is, if you think about seasonality of fiber and, and knitwear, is in the winter. So it's sort of counter-seasonal to the Block Island tourism. So we catch the Block Island tourism wave. People come here. They want something from Block Island. They want it handmade. They want to see the mill. So we get sort of that swing. Yep. But then we go to shows from Maryland to California to Chicago to Pittsburgh, to sort of all over the place, and sell yarn. So there's sell a scene, garments. a yarn scene, textile oh, scene. Oh, absolutely. Where, yeah, absolutely. Yep. And so we go to shows. Two, we sell online. Uh, this year has been pretty big for that. Yeah. And we've got a website. Uh, three. The, go ahead. What's the website in case yeah, anyone okay. wants to? Northlightfibers.com. Okay. And I'll uh, pop it up on our Facebook page. By the way, too, it's okay we'll to promote. See, your, that's we'll see extreme here. orders now. Yeah. 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 No, don't be shy. Tell yeah. everybody. You never know if people are like, hey, I want to try and okay. all, for all, all of you listening. All my friends are going to buy. I yeah. you'll yeah. sell like two more hats. For all <laughs> <laughs> I have friends with a lot of cats, too. They, you know, snobby cats who don't want to just play with like the store-bought yard. There you go. There you go. So, so we do the shows, um, we sell online, we have a store here right in the middle of the farm, and then we also do a lot of retreats. So one of the things that's very unique, I think, is we will do, in a typical year, we'll do two big retreats in, in May and two big retreats in um, September uh, and even October, but the weather gets so iffy. So we'll have, in a, in a typical year, we'll bring 100 to 120 people out in May just to come knit. So we'll have teachers, teachers from around the world. Uh, this coming May, we've got a woman coming from California, another one coming from Maryland, another one coming from Germany, just to teach. And we'll probably have uh, probably 75 knitters just coming with, and some bring spouses and things like that. Yeah. And the beauty of it, Mark, as you know from the past, is we'll then go to a restaurant. Oh, and yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and we we'll, said yep. we'll um, you know, fill a restaurant up. And in May, it's sort of like opening season. So we help whoever it may be. And, and uh, Winfields, for example, we'll go and have a meal at Winfields and sort of kick off the season. I, I have to say, day. too, that uh, when we did host uh, one of Sven's uh, at, at lunches the at the Mohegan Cafe a yep. few years back, uh, we're still paying off the damage. The, yeah, they, it yeah. sounds like knitters a yarn convention crazy. wouldn't be. Knitters are, knitters are put it this way. I would crazy. rather have hosted like you know the Hell's Angels for the week mm -hmm. yeah. the weekend yeah. because <laughs> these guys were nuts. Yeah, yeah, nuts. crazy, yeah, these, crazy people. These crazy knitters. Everything they, you gave them, they just tried to twist it into a ball. Exactly. You know? Like, what are you doing with the menu? You, yeah, <laughs> we need those. The fork yeah. never looked the same. Yeah, yeah don't even get me started on the bird watchers. Yeah, how'd you make how'd you make a scarf out of the silverware? I'm impressed. Very nice. <laughs> so, so we do a lot of those retreats, and during the retreats, since you mentioned bird watching, you know, we'll have Kim Gaffett lead a bird, you know, bird banding event. We'll do a lot of cool stuff. The um, Block Island Conservancy does nature walks. Yeah. So people come here and they really experience Block Island more than just getting in a classroom and knitting. But they do that too. Yep. Do you have a lot of uh, over the years? Do you have a lot of repeaters, or does it tend to be a new group? Every time or a little of both? Like. So we um, have done everything we can to manage no more than 40% of the people repeating. And, okay. and the reason is otherwise it just becomes to the share. same group. It's to yes. share. Yeah. And you want to keep increasing your reach. So our goal has always been to have more, more than 50% of the people be new. 
And then the, the returning guys, they, um, or gals, they just, everybody gloms onto each other and suddenly like, oh yeah, we went to that restaurant last year and we went to this and oh, you And they feed that. the new group. Yeah. It's kind of a neat, yeah. 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 How yeah. do you, I wonder how they pick. You think they like, um, how about that sweater that Glenda <laughs> knitted? She's a no go next year. I know, right? Yeah. What's the, pre- yeah. <laughs> what's the, t- <laughs> To be honest with you, I think it's pretty clear. <laughs> really, Doris, another set of mittens. Yeah. We've seen your mittens. Yeah. Yeah, Enough with the mittens. That. The saddest thing in the world is someone who loves doing something they're terrible at. You know? Oh, well, I don't mind take someone, us, for example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't mind someone who knows that they're terrible at yeah. something and gets it, or the person that's great at it and doesn't really play it up much. But there's those people that are just passionate about, you know, whatever it may be it's and, their thing. and you're like yeah look at this bookshelf i made and you're like oh <laughs> you made that that's nice. <laughs> i would have never guessed sorry i thought that was the wood pile you're not coming to next year's <laughs> <Yeah>. retreat bookkeeping <laughs> bookshelf making retreat <laughs> but it is it is amazing though rich how knitters are um they they have incredible skills i mean amazing skills yeah. but they're also as a general statement pretty humble so they they really want to learn something they want to learn something new um, there's not this pressure of um, you're not good enough, you shouldn't be with us kind of thing. I mean, it's a, it's a nice community. Um, yeah, it's great. And yeah. I'll tell you, that was one of the things that just shocked me, and I now see it um, in bright lights. So if you think about the microbrewery world, right? Okay, um, here in microbrewery world, you think, oh, that's a little niche. It's a big niche. Yes. Yeah, and, yeah. and like knitting, you think of it, oh, just those knitters. They, some of the shows we go to are 20,000 people. And so you got these communities that you don't think of, but that are huge. And I bet they're all walks of life. All walks of life. Yeah. Um, all colors of hair. All I mean, it's like everybody. Um, and, and, you know, but, but people will go to these and they'll spend thousands of dollars on yarn because they love yarn or whatever that craft and community may be. Well, yeah. and it, you know, it's like anything. There's, there's going to, I don't want to trash anybody, a large store and grabbing a spool of yarn off the shelf for, you know, ten ninety nine or eight ninety nine, or, you know, it's just like if you're picking out a wine or a bourbon yeah. or yeah. maybe I could do something other than liquor. Part of, no, no don't. stick with no. what you know. Okay. Stick with yeah. what you know. But, and All you're right. good at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And you're yeah. good. <laughs> and you know, that's, that's, there's, you know, there's this, there's the people that seek out the nice things. Well, and, and you, know. you know, you're making, so someone's going to use this material to make something ostensibly for somebody else, maybe or themselves, or themselves. But I mean, there's a there now. There's a story behind the sweater that goes beyond. I just made it. I went to Block Island and I sourced this wool from this cool little island, and you know, this is where the wool came from. And how long does pieces of wool have to be to spin? That's a great question. Although it does get really technical. Um, so there's two te- two answers to that. Well, One, I have a reason I'm asking. I'll tell you in a second. Your dog won't Yeah, work. Well, that's what yeah, I was going to say. No, I got <laughs> poodle. I'm sensing here. Can't, so, I can make him here. a sweater out of his own fur. Some. <laughs> so, oh, actually, that's not. So, so some. The fiber needs to be about three quarters of an inch long. And okay. where cashmere is a really short fiber, it's sort of the undercoat of a, 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 a goat. Um, but then when huh. you try and marry that up with a longer fiber, it's a really tough thing to spin because you suddenly start slipping and, and fibers start are, are moving around a lot. But I will admit to your dog comment, when we started the company, um, we talked about a lot of different models. And one of the models that we talked about was going to all these dog grooming places. I mean, this is now 12 years ago, right? So mm-hmm. all these grooming places were starting to come up. They this were is when he was to... still crying. Yeah. Oh, no, I was definitely <laughs> cry- I was like, how are we going to... 
And the thought was go to the grooming places and collect dog fiber and then make yarn out of that dog fiber for the person. And then I thought, you know, that gets really morbid really quickly. Yeah, like, it could. Oh, my it little, could. you yeah. know, your Ralphie. I'm now mm-hmm. knitting, you know, wearing Ralphie. Uh, yeah, it's no, just. No, no, no. So we walked away from that. Yeah. But right. it was a good idea. No, like my daughter has a poodle and we have a poodle. And I thought it'd be neat if they each had a sweater made of each other's. You know, it's <laughs> hair actually on a poodle. It's not. It is fur. hair. It's it. It's it hair. Is, it, it is. They, the only problem is to get his hair to be like an inch and a half long. He'd have dreads by then. You wouldn't be able to. So the yeah, big was, and and the big difference between high fiber and hair, um, since you brought it up, Rich, is um, fiber has scales. So so for example, the reason things felt like if you take wool and you put it together and you put it in a washing machine and agitate it, it'll turn into a piece of felt. A dog hair or our hair won't. Because there's no scales on it to actually stick to each other, oh. so it so it actually is technically different. Huh. I've done the, I've been to the farm, not yours, but I've been to the one where they gave us the thing and the two paddles. Yeah, to do the, yeah. What's that called? Oh yeah, what's it called? It's called carding. Okay, carding. Hand I did carding. some carding. Yep. I want to go back because I'm now shocked that when somebody says to me, "Oh, do you like this sweater? It's cashmere. It's actually goat belly." Oh, not fur. goat belly. Goat fur. Goat goat fur. All on the back. Actually, the back shoulders. Oh. Yeah, not the belly. But I just goat. put that sentence together with goats. Did you? (laughs) I didn't know. No, I I thought cashmere was just like a Led Zeppelin song. (laughs) I thought cashmere came from some exotic animal in the Middle East or something. So mostly from Mongolia. Ah. So we actually, we just, um, I was up at Logan two days ago getting a bale of cashmere, 250 pounds of cashmere. Wow. Yeah. What's a bale yeah. of, uh, you know, what's 250 pounds of cashmere running these days? Ballpark. Um, uh, more than you and I want to spend. <laughs> more than a grand? Uh, many more than a grand. Okay. Wow. Many wow. more. Than a grand. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's well, crazy. That, hence, that guess, explains yeah. the price of a cashmere. No, story. that explains the crying for nine months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can we but, get a small line of credit for $35,000 yeah, for yeah. goat fur? Yeah, yeah we right. need to buy some cashmere. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. But it's so different for Block Island, right? And, yeah. and it's such a different experience. And people love coming to the mill. So for all the listeners out there, definitely come. It is a cool, different thing for Block Island. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think so. I think yeah. it's great. And I think it's great just getting all those people to come out for the... Uh, the retreats and stuff? The retreats, yeah. 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 I think yeah. that knitting is one of those things that if you keep the hands busy, it, it you know, I've always found that doing little hobbies or mm. things, it, it helps free the mind a little bit. Or mm-hmm. take, I, I think people who knit and crochet and stuff, uh, they get a little less stress. In their a life. lot less anxiety. Yeah. So a lot less it's, anxiety. it's a way to release that anxiety and sort of, and, and be somewhat productive and you can give gifts. And and to your point, you know, you can buy a, a, a skein of yarn that's inexpensive and it's utility and, yeah. or you can buy an expensive one and, and it's it's yeah. a little different. But and not, how are your knitting skills? Moderate. Okay. I'm very good at, at t- what they call ripping out or taking it apart. I'm not as good as putting it together. Oh, okay. Which means I do more ripping out than putting together. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I do that too. I, so I've, uh, I'm a terrible crocheter. Oh, do you crochet? I not not as much as I'd like. You know, yeah. I don't want to make it sound like I crochet on the reg. Yeah. How did I but, not um, know this about you? You crochet? things uh i i can right. but i'm but i'm like scarf hat yeah you know, that's i'm okay. not doing booties or sweaters or anything i can do it but i but it's so funny because yeah, the manly kind of crocheting i got you. whatever yeah, yeah. it's all manly um <laughs> wow that was a big job <laughs> yeah. Yeah. now why did what why did you have to make it sexist oh because oh, i made the mistake of buying the wool the wool with a pattern so yep. it, it alters 
and there's a distinct reason the pattern follows a pattern because then as you crochet your rose on your scarf it it forms like a nice gentle oh. flow of the different colors yep. So all of a sudden you look down and you're like, uh-oh, and you go to tearing out the last six rows because you missed a double chain on the one end. Okay. And back. it changes everything. And it changes everything. But you, you can reuse. Loop. You just have to do it over. Yeah. You don't have to, to throw that piece of your I think if you okay. pull it apart a few times, you right. start it, to run into yeah, yeah, yeah. it gets a little weird. But yep. generally, it's a. It, it's a, I've done my share of huh. pulling But I will, I, I will say, just to Richard's point, a lot of men do crochet. A lot of yeah, men Yeah, I'm Joe. I was No, no, but no, I know you are. But it is predominantly... Women, uh, no oh, yeah. question. Yeah. Um, Every yeah. one of my family uh, crochets. Nice. You know, my sister-in-law, Laura, is nice. amazing at it. Um, my my daughters. Uh, yeah. Every, you know, my Your daughter niece. worked with us. Yep. yep. Oh, yep. she did. Yes. Okay. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so design and the manufacturing, though, that's not necessarily new to your family because your father uh, was a guy named Jens Rism. Yep. And your dad was one of the... Uh, I mean the the forerunners of the mid century furniture design movement, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, do you mind if we talk about him no, for a second? No, no, Because no, as no, you know, no, I'm no. a my wife and I are mid century freaks. Yeah, we love that stuff. And I'm about to learn right now. Yeah, because I knew yeah. nothing about this until this very moment. So. Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to, you know, somewhere no, between go, crocheting and mid century, you, you guys are learning a lot about each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are. Well, that's what happens on these things sometimes. R- run with it. Run with <laughs> Just it. Just go, go. So anyway, yeah, uh, Jens, your dad. Yeah. Um, he, uh, I, I, from what I read and gleaned off of uh, the old Wikipedia, he uh, he, he came here in uh, the thir- late forties, uh, right? Yep. Okay, uh, forty-two or ish, and um, he came to came to New York City and was trying to find work as a designer of furniture, but ended up going into. I think he went into uh, textiles as well. Did yep. he do some textile design? He did. He did. And then he met uh, Hans Knoll. Mm-hmm. And they founded the Knoll uh, Furniture Company. Yes. Correct. Yes. And so was your dad a partner with Hans Knoll in that, or was was he just kind of a design guy? Or? Yeah. So so stepping back for a minute, Mark, uh, born in Denmark. Both yeah. my parents were born there. They came over here. My dad came over just before World War II, when it was very clear what was happening. My mother was in France at that moment, and she literally caught the last train out of France and the last freighter out of Denmark. So <sighs> so it was right at that time. Wow. And my dad had been over here for about a year, like you said, trying to figure out what the market was. And, and there's a couple of things that I think you'd find interesting. One, uh, young you know, designer comes from a country where design is really at a, at a peak in the sense of just interest. I mean, the culture of, of Sweden and Denmark is very design-oriented. And um, and worked in textile design a little bit, worked in furniture. I mean, he was this young, sort of scrappy guy trying to get a job with anybody. And at that point, there was just, you know, contemporary and what we call mid-century was breakthrough. You know, I mean, it was it was really, really new. And he ended up meeting Hans Knoll. Hans Knoll's family uh, was from Germany, and they were in the in the furniture business. Um, he came over to the United States, somewhat like Jens did, to find this new frontier. And um, he knew the business side, and Jens knew the design side. And so the, from Knoll Furniture, I think out of the first 25 designs, my dad did 22 of them. Yeah, that's... And something. so he was the design arm, and Hans was... Um, uh, the business arm. And it's an interesting story. Actually, there's going to be a book in January coming out about my dad um, from Faden Press. Oh, cool. A big book. And um, and during these early days of the company, they took a 
two and a half months tour around the country. So um, uh, my mother and my father, Hans and his wife then, they literally drove around the country to sort of meet architects, meet designers, meet you know developers, businesses, see who would want what. And the net outcome of the, uh, the meeting was some good leads and some good contacts, but it was basically that there was no design in the United States. I mean, you went to the Southwest and you had sort of this Mexican, you know, sort of Mexican yeah. influence. You went up to the Northwest, you had a lot of uh, wood and tree and very um, natural type of environments and, and furniture. You went to the mid Midwest in Chicago and it was sort of naked, nothing. I mean, it was just so so it was fascinating coming from this culture of high design um, attention to in America. It just it, it wasn't there. Yeah. Now, were Ray and Charles Eames doing their thing yet out in yep. California? Yep, they were just starting. And so all this was percolating all at the same time. So okay. Saarinen was starting. I mean, yeah. um, obviously, uh, uh, Mies van der Rohe and other that was before that. But um, but it was very selective. And they yeah. were sort of considered the odd guys. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so another, so your dad starts the uh, Noel Furniture Company with, with Hans Noel. Yep. And then I think the next year he gets drafted and yep. to go to World War II, right? Yep. Yep. So, and he served under Patton from what I understand? Yeah, he, well, I mean, sure. So did a lot of people. Yeah, a lot. But, of, but, but he was in um, uh, sort of the intelligence side and doing a lot and, and he ended up getting injured. And so he um, uh, got out a little early, came back somewhat expecting, oh, well, you know, let's start the furniture company back up. And Hans Noll, by that point, unfortunately, his wife passed away, and he remarried to a woman who clearly was a designer and had her own visions about design. And um, I think my father very quickly realized, hmm, your wife (laughs) and you and the third wheel. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he then started his own company that became... Again, knew a community in this mid-century world, uh, pretty successful. Yeah, I'd and, say. And he had a manufacturing plant up in um, northeastern Connecticut, uh, in North Grosvenordale, and an area that was highly impoverished. And and it was fascinating as he did this because he came from such a Scandinavian background. So things like you know graduate um, equivalency programs and. You know, like everything they did as a company was so classic for Denmark, but so progressive for here. Right. So it was really about, look, if if you learn how to sand wood, since you were talking about, Rich, about bookcases, if you learn how to sand wood and really what finishing means, you're going to be proud of it. And and he really instilled that um, in the in the company. Yeah. And it was it was great. And did you ever I mean, did anyone ever think? I mean, you know, we're, we have some years now, yeah. right, in, in, in the rearview mirror. Um, but I mean, again, uh, you know, how much would you credit uh, the television show Mad Men for the uh, resurgence of the interest in, in mid-century modern design and furniture? Do you think that had a lot to do with it or was it just kind of like it was going to happen anyway? Or maybe it never I think left. it already happened. Okay. Yeah, I okay. think it already happened. I think Mad Men glommed on to that already happening. Gotcha, okay. So I think Mad Men was just a, a, um, a reflection of where yeah. uh, culture was. Um, I'll tell you, Madman for me is hard to watch. How come? Um, they get a lot wrong, or, or the, the well, maybe they got a lot right. Oh, really? Oh. Wow. So, what in particular? Uh, you've watched it. Oh, I'm a freak. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, so, so let me put it this way. Uh, uh, you know, it 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 just it was a different time. It was a very social time. It was a very uh, there was just a lot of of um, cultural change that was going on i think very exciting change yeah but at the same time um it's just a it's just a different one huh. uh the other the other day 
my wife and I were, were actually I hate to admit this on the podcast, but we started liking uh, learning how to make martinis. And and I learned that you go that the reason there's a vodka martini. Do you know why? Uh, I go ahead. Is that basically if you're doing a three martini lunch with gin, it's a problem because you sort of smell of a gin martini. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So therefore, vodka became very apropos in yeah. martini world. Um, and so that's sort of part of that yeah. whole thing. There's a. I mean, I, I don't want to stay too long on this no, topic, no, but. I don't um, well, uh, we could have. Well, team. there's just like the one of the things I think that draws a lot of people to that style and that design element is just there's, you know, at the time it came out, it was futuristic. It was hopeful. It looked forwards. It yeah. looked to the future. Yeah. I think it planted ideas in people's heads. It yeah. gave people an idea that like, you know, furniture doesn't just have to be functional, not just something you sit on. It's, it's a piece of, it can be a piece of art that's in your home and you can, you know, buy it at the store and bring it home and. You know, it enhances your life somehow. Yeah. So what's fascinating, and, and we will get off this subject soon, but yeah. what's fascinating is that my father's furniture was designed in the 60s, uh, 50s and 60s, is still being produced yeah. and is still some of the bigger sellers. Noel was just actually uh, purchased by Herman Miller. And um, and now if you look at it, uh, it, that whole genre. And even on Block Island, I think uh, anybody who know, or I shouldn't say that, many people who know about mid-century modern know about my father's house. Well, the house is iconic in its yeah, own right. which has been yeah. in Dwell Magazine. It was Life Magazine. And I don't know anything about it. I've still never it. been, by the way. Yeah, me neither. Don't know anything about it. Uh, you, uh, you're invited. What's Thank the scoop? You. So what's the scoop so, of the house? It's so great. it's up by, um, uh, on the North Point, and you've, you've been there, I'm sure. It's got a whole glass wall. It's an A-frame. So it's a big pitched roof, and it looks out on the North Light. And... Um, and it was built in 67. It was a prefab house, again, to that looking forward and, yep. and new um, architecture design styles. And um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful house. But you walk into today and you think, this is gorgeous. I want a house like this. And it's as simple as you can get. I mean, literally, you look up at the ceiling and it's rafters and and oak boarding. You know, it's, it's a very clean, simple, beautiful house. But it's cool. Yeah. yeah. It's really cool. All right. Yeah. So. Now we'll go up there. Cool. Uh, we'll yeah. go Thanks for chatting about that. Yeah. Try to get yeah. some Always pictures of to, it. Yeah. You know, okay, if I snap a few pics of it oh, yeah. up on the social oh, yeah. media. Yeah. Cool. I'll yeah. probably find some online. Apparently. Yeah. I think you yeah. will. Yeah. I think you will. Well, well listen, all this industry talk has gotten me in the uh, mode of uh, talking talking some, some, some cold, hard dollars, I guess. So let's uh, take a break and check in with our sponsors. All right. We'll be right back with Sven Rism. <laughs> Captain Nick's Rock and Roll Bar is Block Island's premier night spot and live music venue, bringing only the best in summertime entertainment since 1976. Monday nights are still groovy, so dress in your 70s best for disco night. Then get ready to sing along on Tuesdays and Wednesdays with Neil Haven's Dueling Pianos. Friday and Saturday nights, Captain Nick's features the best cover party and tribute bands in New England. And don't miss the legendary Captain Nick's Sunday Fun Day with the Young Guns from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. on the deck. Captain Nick's is proud to feature its new food menu seven days a week from 4.30 to close, which means late night grub until 12.30 a.m. seven days a week. Lunch is served Thursday through Sunday at noon. And if you're looking for the island's best mudslide, Nick's is also the spot for afternoon fun when you come off the beach with great acoustic entertainment outside on the deck. Captain Nick's Rock and Roll Bar, 34 Ocean Avenue, right across from the Block Island Grocery. Visit CaptainNick'sBI.com for all information. Hey, Mark, who are you most excited to see this summer at Captain Nick's? I always love the Blushing Brides, the Rolling Stones tribute band. You almost feel like you're looking at the real Mick Jagger. 
So have you ever heard about CPOD? When springtime hits, CPOD Construction puts down their hammers and goes into full-on delivery mode. From Memorial Day to Labor Day, CPOD will deliver anything anywhere on the island. As Bobby likes to say, if it's legal, it gets delivered. It's so easy to click that button and order a couch, but how do you get it up to your house? CPOD, that's right, furniture, appliances, pretty much anything you can get over on the ferry or the plane, they will get it to you. Let's say you're having a great day at Mansion Beach, but uh-oh, out of beer. Well... Ring up the store, order what you need, and then call Bobby at Seapod. Yep, and the beer comes to you at the beach. Here's my favorite. From 5 to 10 every night, Seapod will deliver takeout from any restaurant on the island. After a long day of sun and fun, what could be better than having dinner come to you? They deliver sand to sail, hotel to house. For anything anywhere on Block Island, call Seapod at 401-871-5061. Tell Bobby we said hi. So I almost accept this as a challenge, Mark. You think we could come up with something that Bobby can't deliver? I mean, an elephant, perhaps, or... But you know what? I wouldn't even put it past him. He'd find a way. Last time I bought an elephant, I just picked it up myself. But it's much easier to call Seapod. If you're on island, pay a visit to Diamond Blue Surf Shop, located right at Bridgegate Square, a.k.a. the four-way. Don't let the name fool you. While Diamond Blue specializes in surfing, they have so much more to offer. Diamond Blue features an amazing line of clothing, hats, swimsuits, shades, footwear, bracelets, and lots of accessories. Diamond Blue rents surfboards, paddleboards, wetsuits, and boogie boards at the shop. They've also got kayaks and beach chair rentals down at the beach. Talk about convenient. Diamond Blue has experienced surfing instructors on call for lessons all summer. Your surf lessons include a surfboard and wetsuit. It's a great way for the kids or anyone to safely learn how to catch their first sweet wave. Diamond Blue will have you hanging 10 in no time. So stop in and visit Jen and the gang at Diamond Blue Surf Shop. For all info on rentals, surf lessons, or to shop online, visit DiamondBlueBI.com. You know what I love about Diamond Blue? They have the best apparel. For example, this past October, I was here in the fall, and I was freezing, and I got the coolest surf jacket there. Oh, yeah. Hoodies, hats. They, they You can Christmas shop there. I mean, you should. They do the Christmas stroll usually, yeah. and uh, you can order online. So totally. you left the island. You're like, I wish I bought that for my son for Christmas. They've you know? got such cool stuff there. Very cool. And Jen and her staff are the nicest. Jen is so chill. Marmar Jewels and Blockstar are a true mom-and-pop operation. Martha and Dominic, the dynamic husband-and-wife duo's hip little boutique, is located just past the Statue of Rebecca across from the post office. Martha and Marmar Jewels represents the work of over 50 rotating independent jewelry artists every season with handmade jewelry and accessories focusing on one-of-a-kind works from local and regional artists. Whether you're looking for alternative wedding engagement options, gifts and accessories for your bridal party, or some hair feathers, Marmar's gotcha. Permanent jewelry workshops, visiting artist trunk shows, and private shopping are all but some of Marmar's offerings. Blockstar is the official, unofficial Block Island brand. You've seen the stickers everywhere, and we mean everywhere. In 2004, Dominic launched Blockstar, true grassroots styles, right out of the trunk of his car. It would go on to become one of the most recognizable Block Island icons ever. But you don't have to buy your Blockstar t-shirts, hats, and hoodies out of the trunk of a car anymore. Visit Marmar Jewels between Memorial Day and Columbus Day weekends, or order anytime online at marmarboutique.com. You know, I do love Marmar's work, and the fact that she brings in all these other artists, it just makes it such a collection to look over and, and buy some neat stuff. Yeah, it's a really cool store, and Dominic's Blockstar brand is everywhere. All right, so we're back uh, picking up our conversation here with Sven Rizm. Uh, Honor to have him in the studio here with us. Um, all right, Sven, so we talked a little bit. We, we, we moved so quickly, but you had those great summers growing up here. Mm. 
I, what are what are some of your fond memories of uh, growing up summers on Block Island? I mean, I, we and I know we said barefoot and hitchhiking, but what was your favorite? What was your favorite summer job? Sounds like you did a bunch. Did you like being out doing construction, or did you? Li- I mean, clearly we know you didn't like cleaning the toilets at the oar. <laughs> I can't say I enjoy a good toilet cleaning myself. Um, you you know, um, it's a great question uh, about. What is it that we love about Block Island? And that's really what you're asking. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like what made um, you, you, you said earlier, you know, we devoted our, we, we knew the, the plan was we want to be there, how and what's the best way to get there. But what made that I want to be here? I mean, I know it was me. It was summers here for me and I knew I wanted to be here, you know, very young. Mm, mm. So uh, my wife, don't worry, I'll answer it. I'm my not, my no, wife is from, from you, Northern... You, you can make a totally different answer to a question I didn't even ask for all nope. we care. Yeah. <laughs> my wife is from Northern Maine and up in Fort Kent, which if you've ever been, it's the second most northern town in the, in the country. And, um, and she grew up in you know picking potatoes and, and lumber industry and all that. And, but just a very uh, rural, lovely little town, uh, Northern Maine. Um, and and living in New York, like you asked about before, Rich, living in Connecticut, that just wasn't her cup of tea at all and really didn't like it all that much. Um, and she loved Block Island. And, and what we both love about Block Island is sort of the big horizons, big skies, openness, um, and the people. Um, and uh, I remember once you said, you know, you, you may not like everybody all the time, but you, you'll always love them. Yeah. And, and I think that was a really... I remember when you said that in, in a meeting. And I think that's a really important statement. Um, it's a great community. It's a community that that um, we aren't really social people. Uh, we don't need to go and see people all the time. We don't go out and eat every whatever. Uh, and we're really happy to go home and, and enjoy life and sort of be by ourselves and, and be with our dogs. Um, so what we wanted to do is get to a place that we enjoyed was beautiful. I mean, you, you don't have many places in the world that are, nicer than Black Island. And, um, and, uh, and so we wanted to be here. And I would say answering your question directly, I don't, I don't know that there was a best job. I mean, there were really good jobs. Um, but I think the idea of just being outside and working outside and working with your hands, you know, whether it's crocheting or knitting or at that point, banging nails or tying up boats, I happen to have always been driven to the Great Salt Pond. I love it's sailing. Amazing, yeah. I love being on the water. I think the water is a critical part. Um, and and what's fascinating, after now 60 years of being on Block Island, I'm now clamming more than I ever have. And, you know, you start to do things differently. Um, and so I think there's there's just things to do that are outside that that are personal. So Yeah, it, it's a... It's a place where you can just go find a spot almost anywhere and sit back and it's just amazing. You know, um, do you find that you view how this is going to dovetail into a whole bunch of questions, but did you see a big change once you started being here year round of how you viewed the summer? Not that it's a bad thing, but I mean, in other words, it, I found that it, I gravitated towards enjoying at least the shoulder seasons. I'm not a mm. big fan of the wind and the cold, uh, dreary, but that's anywhere. Mm. But I mean, you know, like it, I used to think the summers on Block Island were the greatest things in sliced bread. And then all of a sudden I started to realize, you know yeah. what? The shoulder seasons, the off seasons is really where it's at sometimes. You know, I'm not a beach guy, though. Are yeah. you a beach guy? No. No, Me neither. No, no. Um, and and we love the shoulder seasons. I, probably yeah. we don't mind the winter maybe as much as you do. I actually don't mind the cold. 
Um, but the cold wind, one thing. Scandinavian but, blood. But, well, so am I. But yeah. I will say, you know, 88 degrees and 90% humidity is not our cup of tea. So yeah, at, yeah. at one point, it was funny when our kids were um, looking at colleges and they were sort of talking and we were sitting around the dinner table and, and we then were looking to move and we were doing a couple of different things. And I said, well, Laura, where would you want to live? And she said, anywhere north of Connecticut. Someday look at a map because Minneapolis just was north. Yep. We almost moved to Chicago, <laughs> which is actually south of Connecticut. Um, My wife is from Hibbing, Minnesota. Oh, there you go. I don't know if yeah, I know. I know that. Hibbing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty far north. It is. It's up there. It's getting there mm-hmm. oh, by the range. And yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah, don't it, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. You betcha. Um, but the but we like the shoulder seasons by far the best. Um, and and the heat, you know, is one thing. Uh, ice boating I've fallen in love with. So the one day a year we can ice boat, I'll, I'll do that. Um, and it's a great way to get outside. To your to, to the question about is there a difference when you move out here full time? No question. Um, you're, you're no longer in the coming and going mode. You're in the here mode. You're able to actually sort of feel like you are immersed in the culture and in the place. Um, and then you have to sort of make sure, and, and uh, this is a challenge at times for many, um, to enjoy what we have and enjoy what we don't have and make sure that, you know, we don't have to have everything that's on the mainland. So, you know, yeah. how do you enjoy what you don't have? And then two, how do we make sure that we, we use pronouns like we and us and not they and them? Um, yeah. And that's a really important thing because it's very quick in any community, whether you're in a ski resort or a rural. And next thing you know, you talk about city people and it's, it becomes them. Yeah. Um, and I think we really saw that in the pandemic where suddenly it'd be like, well, those people could be, whoa, 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 time out. How do we get to those? You know, we're all in this as a community. That's and we right. need to We need to really keep that in mind. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing. It's a, And it's a great community. I still uh, am learning new things every day about Black Island. Um, and uh, and that's the fun part about it. Yeah, well, I, that's I, it's part of my enjoyment doing the podcast. Yeah, I learn, yeah. I probably learn as much as some of our listeners do. From, all the time. You know, all the time. Yeah. Always picking up new stuff, you know. Uh, yeah. People, you know, we did an interview earlier with someone, I'm not going to give it away, but no. no idea that they got drafted and were in the Army. Like, you would never see this person and think, Army, <laughs> yeah. What? Right. No Except way. that he do see him march in the parade, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. yeah, yeah. True, true, yeah. true. All right. So you settle in. You become now, as I said at the opening, you were uh, town council. Mm. And did you do any boards or any community? I call it community service because that's yeah, really what it, it all, is. all of know, it. It's is. all community sure. service. I did my time. Everybody should do their time. Yeah. Um, and it takes time. Mm. It really does. Uh, and of course. The community, you know, I was on school committee for many years. The I think the only thing second to that labor wise for a thankless job is the town council. <laughs> Did you do any other boards or committees before the town council? Yeah. So when we I mentioned to you earlier, um, when we started this thing called Light Assembly, which was sort of the ability for a small little company to, to create a, a business. Um, we did it in such record time and I did it on my own versus getting a lawyer involved and all that. And Anyway, um, that about three months after that passed, the town council, the head of the planning board came and said, well, you obviously know our zoning <laughs> better you know than many of us, yeah. and you know how to do this. Oh. So I was then on planning for about seven years, and I was vice chair of the planning board. I was also on tourism council, um, things like um, 
uh, shoreline access working groups and stuff like that. Uh, so I've been pretty involved um, uh, in different, like you say, community service efforts. And then somebody get in your ear no, did you decide no. to do it on your own yeah no it's a little different um so my entree uh was um a commitment uh which you guys will understand in a minute but um i got i i have now been on the town well, up until the last election i'd been in the town council for three years uh most terms as you listeners may know is two years and i um joined the town council when norris pike passed away Okay, And I had committed to Norris uh, over the last six months of his life when he and I would sit down and talk about things. And I, he goes, he asked me if I would serve. And I said, well, it's not really my choice and it's not really your choice, but if the council would let me, I will do that. And he goes, just put your name in. Um, and so it's somewhat of a commitment to him Very and nice. wanting to do the right thing uh, that I then put my name in the hat. I was asked to serve out Norris's term. Right. And then... Um, I had so much fun that uh, I, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I hadn't cried in about yeah, I mean, eight yeah, years since, the, since we started the fibers. I needed an, another nine months cry. Yeah. Um, no, and then I put my name in and I ran as, um, uh, as maybe people know, there's a first ward and second ward and then members. So I became a member of the town council. And uh, then most recently, I was elected second warden. Uh, nobody opposed me, so it was an easy election. Nice, but, but um, crushed it on that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost a shame. Let's touch on that really quick. Mm. It's almost a shame how many unopposed positions. Are, not that I wanted someone to run against you and win, but I mean, I find so many seats and positions, even with elections, you see so many. It says, I don't know. You don't vote out here, Mark. I don't I think. Can't. No, you, I'm not a right because of the. Right. Because well yeah, yeah right. we won't talk about that but um <laughs> they couldn't prove actually where the uh, yeah. where the explosives came from well you know um it's not where they came from it's where they went but right. you know uh, what was I just saying uh, oh, oh service yeah the yeah. um the the I got totally lost on no that one. I, well it was about uh, unopposed oh and yeah I think and I, there's so many of those spots it'll yeah. say vote for three for like school command there's only two names there yeah, yeah. Like, you know yeah. and I I, I almost or then nobody a, wants to be chair so you know. Um, Which I got another question for you on that one oh, when the time comes. But absolutely, isn't absolutely. that a that's kind of a shame? I think that there's not enough people that want to serve and run. So, so uh, you just brought up about twenty topics. I know um, in one <laughs> sentence. So a couple of things. And I'll try and bang them really fast. Uh, one, our job, and I say ours, the three of us here, but actually everybody listening, our job is to serve the community because the community serves us. Um, our job is not to be is to raise voices, to oppose, to to um, speak your mind, but also do it respectfully. And and I think of the last three four years, there's at times been some disrespect, and that's hard. So if you're a young person thinking about getting involved in community service, to use your term, whether it's on the town council or the planning board or whatever it may be, um, and then you think. Man, these you know people are just getting yelled at or or sort of you know given given a lot of um, backhands, and that's hard. Um, so I think I think one of our roles in the community is how do we support each other? That doesn't mean agree, uh, right, but it's respectful. Right. And and much like that time when you reference sort of the I may not like you, but I'll, I'll always love you. Yeah. I think that's a really important statement, and I think it's a community statement. Right. Just because I stand here and I said this at a public meeting, I yeah. stood there, I said some serious feelings Very. about an issue. 
But I finished it off by saying, I just, you know, no matter who feels like I'm targeting them in this room, I still love you. Yeah. It's not about that. It's yep. about this is how I feel about this, though. Right. And, and yeah. I think we need to um, get more young people involved. The issue there gets to be time. I mean, you mentioned uh, yeah, time. True. Town council is a time suck, and it is tough. And Block Island has not become a more and more affordable place for a young family to live, or any less complicated in terms of yeah. like the issues facing it. You know, everything just you seems know, how to, you going to serve on the council if you, in order to survive here, you have, have to, to rent your house, or you have to rent your house for two months in the summer and leave the island just to, or you scramble know. or yeah, yeah, no, absolutely yeah, you're right. You're you're handing off kids because you know we did it. You 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 know yep. you're doing construction by day and you come home and you hand the baby over and you know your wife or your husband goes to bartend at night yep. you know and yep yep and and i think i think the pressures financial pressures make it hard but but hopefully we can start to get more people involved uh we can start to have again more uh, the ability to decide who we want on the council um to your point about unopposed it's an unfortunate thing so it's an unfortunate thing that that not more people run uh, and therefore, we've got to figure out how to make it less burdensome. Because uh, I think right now, some of the positions are very, very burdensome. Do you have any ideas on how to do that? In the next year or two. I uh, I have some ideas, but they're sort of brewing. You now. don't want to spoil them. Well, I think, it's about, um, I think it's about breaking things down and trying to make them simpler. We have a tendency, and I will put my hand up, of making things more complex than they need to be. And complexity, it becomes time sucks. Uh, yes. Versus... Trying to say, look, uh, we want to build A. Okay, let's not spend twenty five years on A. Let's decide: do we want to do it or don't? Once you decide you do, then how do we move forward? Yeah, and and try and figure out a way to make things more process oriented, because the processes on Block Island are not all that clear. Yeah. Um, so therefore, they go around in circles at times. And and I think know. to get things done, you have to know that you're not going to make everybody happy. Right. It just, it's just, it's got to be, that's something you have to sit down and say to yourself, okay, if I can make, if 51% of the people are, are in agreement with what I'm proposing, that's the be- that if that's the best I can do with this idea, that's the best I can do. And like I said in a meeting the other night, I, we are a democracy. So, so even among a board or on the town council, there are times where we don't all agree. And that's good. That's healthy. Yeah. Um, and we're able to look at each other at the end and say, you know, good meeting, good discussion. That's, that's a good way to move it on. Um, but uh, um, I'm hoping that we can get more people involved. Do you um, ever step back? And I'm guilty. I was guilty of this. I took a long, one of the biggest learning curves for me in business was catching myself and I don't mean it in a derogatory way. So this isn't an accusation towards you or anybody mm. in specific, but sometimes I just step back and I say, wait a minute, you know what? I'm micromanaging. Like you said, I, we made the decision. We want this and we're going to do this building, but now it's time to delegate that to the next person. Do you feel that sometimes you, you find that some or all of councils, even in the past, maybe not present, because sometimes I'm listening and I'm like, you know, this is really taking up a half hour of a meeting where this should already be like that. That part of the decision was made. And move it on, like get it over to that board and get it rolling, you know? So that was sort of my comment about process. We we tend to regurgitate a lot, restate a lot. Uh, and I don't mean just the town council. I've seen it yeah, in a lot well, of things. That's so, what I mean. Yeah, it's- I've seen it a lot. And I think we need to know when a decision is made and, and the role of, you know, whether it's the planning board chair or the zoning, whatever, is to sort of cut off, not cut off, to, to bring the question, to bring this the the comments to a to close yeah. in a healthy way yeah. in a healthy way and and um uh that's a learn that's something you learn over time 
Um, the other thing I will say about Block Island is there's a lot of people here that are very, very smart and have a lot of passion. And and it's good to get their input, but ha- you know, getting input and then balancing that to um, a, a, a path forward is sometimes not always that easy. And how do, how do you deal with the people that are really stupid and have a lot of passion? <laughs> I don't know, Mark. <laughs> I can't wait to come to the next town council. Hey, Sven, I got a question for you. Yeah, but <laughs> but um, no, I think I think uh, really passionate about Rich's dog yeah. for a sweater idea. Yeah, why didn't you? Is that on you? Put that on your agenda. <laughs> but but um, it, it's I enjoy the town council. I enjoy giving back. Um, uh, you know, I think it does have to be about the we. It's not about any one person. It's a collective. Uh, so, so, what are we facing right now as a community? What are, What are the three? Give us a few. What are, What are you guys up against going into the summer that you um, feel? You know, this is something we have to address and do something about. So, I think I think the um, great question. I think the the biggest thing that we need as a community to figure out. And I, we may all have the answer in our own heads, but how do we as a community is what is the Block Island that we love and how do we make sure we maintain and keep the Block Island we love? Um, I think right now we're going through a whole lot of change. We're going through a lot of new home ownership, a lot of people coming out. Uh, clearly, the island um, was a weird summer last year. Yeah. Um, this summer, I think it's going to be busier than any. Yeah, and and as uh, 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 my my read already of April and uh, March and April is that there are more people here than I've ever seen, which is great. Yeah. Um, but that's going to change for the summer, and that'll change the summer. So, what is? Uh, how do we make sure that we are keeping and preserving the Block Island that we all love? Yeah. That is the biggest thing to me. And what does that mean? Um, uh, and and we the three of us may have different interpretations of it, but I'll bet you that if you do it a Venn diagram of it, we're all ninety percent the same. You know, I bet you uh, your ideas of the Black Island you love, Rich is mine. Uh, we're really overlapped in what they are, um, and and I think I think a community is critical. Uh, I'm a huge supporter of the school, a huge supporter of the medical center, a huge supporter of of uh, making sure we have a community which includes people of all walks and and uh, lives. So how do we make sure housing is there for people on the island? Um, you know, what has happened in the last year and a half, which is not a new trend, but it just got excel- accelerated a little bit, is the cost of housing. Right. And you're getting people who are buying, quote unquote, $700,000, $800,000 houses and tearing them down. And so, you know, you're having a shift in the housing inventory. Um and and I believe the housing board has done a phenomenal job uh, of of creating housing for the island. The new discussions are about a rental and a purchase type of a housing uh, complex. Um, but I think we need to revisit what we call on Block Island the five thirteens, which is sort of an affordable housing uh, process. We need to figure out how to make sure town employees have housing. We need to make sure that the community can afford to live here, and. And we don't want, when, one of the things that when we started North Light Fibers, I said in a meeting very publicly, and I, I uh, have been told that people will never forget it, I said the one thing we don't want to do is to create a, a gentrified, gentry society. 
We don't want a gated community. We don't want, you know, workers having to come over on the day and then leave at night. We don't want that. Um, and so, therefore, we have to work to get that because uh, it could, theoretically, it could happen. So, what do you say to somebody uh, with a piece of property um, that where there's they're trying to, you're, you know, a, affordable yeah. housing complex is, is being proposed right next door and they don't want it next door to them? You know? What do they say? They're, you know, all my property values are going to go down, and maybe they will, maybe they won't. I've I don't heard, know, but I mean, I've heard that, and it's never happened. I don't think it's happened I, I either. Mean, does yeah. it mean your house might only be worth two hundred thousand more in five years instead of um, five hundred thousand more? Maybe. Yeah. But I mean, you know, there, there was people the wind farm. They were panicking over the wind farm, well, yeah. and they were like, "Oh, we got to sell this house as fast as we can because nobody's going to want to buy it once yeah. there's a wind farm out there." And yeah. now look, all those values have gone way up. Way up. Yeah. You know, NIMBY. Um, yeah. Not in my backyard. Thing. Yes. Uh, I have zero patience for. Uh, we live on Block Island. It's the most beautiful, one of the most right. beautiful places in the world. So. Um, if it's about maintaining or supporting the community, what I mean by community is making sure that people can afford to live here that are part of the fabric. Yeah. Um, no matter what, a large part of Black Island is always going to be summer houses. Um, I mean, that's sort of part of what we are. But right? even that has changed because, it has. you know, and there's nothing against it. Everybody has, you know, I guess, oh, no offense, but I, I don't mean any offense, but it used to be the summer cottages where the family showed up and there's still a lot of those, but there's a lot more now that they're only here a week or two or a little bit, you know? And I, I don't know. I think so. Even the face of that, that whole summer cottager has changed, you know, a bit. I, I'm with you. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's so, you know, so it goes back to, I think uh, to your question, I think what is, and then how do we preserve the black island we love is the biggest, most important question in front of everybody. I think then, um, in my eyes, we get into topics around economic development. How do we make sure that you can make enough money when you live here, that you can actually live here and save some money up so when you're 60 years old, you can actually, or 70, you can actually retire and you know not be scraping the bucket. Um, I think we need to think about, uh, and this is part of North High Fibers, we need to think more about year-round jobs um, rather than just sort of you know summer service uh, jobs. I think we... We're in a new spot right now. Again, back to this Block Island we all love. Uh, development has taken some interesting turns, uh, not in a surprise. It was pretty predictable. One, there are a lot of bigger houses going up. And and as I said, sort of tearing down the $800,000 house and building a bigger one. But two, we now have three, maybe even four uh, developers on the island, you know, owning hotels or marinas or or or, or big commercial enterprises. And that's not a bad thing necessarily, but it, it does bring in other pressures. So suddenly, you know, thinking about utilities, water, sewer, uh, thinking about um, who works there, ownership of it. You know, you sort of go from the local person owning that hotel to now a corporation. Right. And, and that has, again, I'm not going to say good or bad, it has implications. And I think we need to then figure out how that frames up into the Black Island we all love. Well, speaking of which, how would you, uh, I mean, where? how would you characterize or how would you, what's your view on where we are with the whole Champlains thing? Because they're still trying to appeal the expansion or the denial of the expansion. As, as I understand it, there is an appeal right now. Uh, I mean, perfect example of a corporation coming in, taking over a business, and then it's seemingly, and again, this is my opinion only, seems like they don't really care too much about what Block Island wants or think or is best for it necessarily. Like, yeah. how, where, where do we, 
what do we do with that? How how is it? That, how do you how do you deal with them and say, hey guys, uh, you know, just so you know, or can you even? Is there even a level? I mean, can you talk to the owner of the corporation mm-hmm. that owns mm-hmm. that place? Do mm-hmm. they even care? Do they even want to talk to you? So so uh, I am near and dear to Champlin's, as as I think you know, um, and, and near and dear in the sense of the battle. Uh, I was president of the Committee for the Great Salt Pond for about 10 years. Right. And now I'm, I'm just sort of help, working and helping. But um, uh, that battle has been going on for 18 years now. Right. Um, about I was going to say, they kind of bought that. Yeah. They bought that expansion battle yeah. when they bought the so, business. Yeah. So I think, I think that's a really important point, Rich. So the new people that own Champlin's, called the Prokachani Group, um, in reality, they have nothing to do with the expansion, although they seem to be playing the cards along in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, versus, yeah, it's the like form- here, take my yeah. spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to go to the bathroom. Yeah, I, yeah. I'd look over the shoulder for us with those cards. No. <laughs> um, so, so the battle is, um, if I say the battle, the town, the Committee for the Great Salt Pond, the Block Island Conservancy, and the Land Trust have been this continuing, ongoing battle with uh, Champlin's Realty which was the former owner, uh, Grillo. Right. And that is, uh, we thought had ended a number of times. Uh, it continues to have a life of its own. Um, but I, 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 the only thing I can say about the, the new folks are um, that they haven't been vocal on it at all. Um, everything I'm seeing from Champlin's right now, the new owners is they're doing a huge amount of um, deferred or taking care of a huge amount of deferred maintenance. Yeah. So whether it's windows, whether it's framing, whether yeah. it's the docks, whether it's underground oil tanks. And, yeah, they're definitely improving I mean, I, the infrastructure yeah. over there. No and question. that infrastructure needed improvement. Big time. Big as, big time. as did the big extra, time. you know, the, and, the facelift. And that's and, what you meant, I think, when you said, you know, corporations or larger entities coming isn't necessarily a bad thing because that's a sure, surely a big positive that's going to come out of it. Well, we'll yeah. we'll see. Well, Time of, will tell. Time maybe, will tell. Right, right. But but then you know you can look at at the Lark Group that has a, um, the surf. Yeah. Or you can look at the Boat Basin, which is owned by another group, um, Peregrine. Um, and each one is approaching things differently. Uh, some have come in pretty loud and pretty strong, saying we want to do this, and then they realized, oh, it's maybe not quite so simple. <laughs> um, others, I would say, the Boat Basin's been very deliberate and very calm about it. And, you know, a lot of the same people that were running it before or managing it, I should say, yeah. are doing it, are, are still doing it. So each group is different, but it, but it really gets to how, what is the role of larger house development? Uh, how do we manage that? What is the role of developers on the island? And how does that play or fit into the Black Island we love? Um, and then the other two things that I would say, um, obviously, because of my my role in the Committee for the Great Salt Pond and others, I think environmental stewardship and environment is a huge part of Block Island in our culture. Um, and environmental stewardship, I think, is something that we need to, is a, is a core thread in the fabric. And then the one that I think is true around the country, but definitely here, is mental health. And, and I think mental health is a big deal to me. Um, and, and how do we make sure people are getting the resources they need to be part of the community and to make sure that the fabric is strong. Um, I happen to think that the the health center is doing some good things. I think telehealth is really changing some abilities and ways to communicate. It's a little awkward at times, yeah. um, but at least it's a it's a way to communicate. Um, and I think we need to make sure that that um, that we are able to address mental health, whether that be 
um, in substance abuse and, and, you know, whether that leads to substance abuse, um, and, and in many communities that is an issue or just in, in, um, uh, as people get older and, and whether it's depression or, and, and in all kinds of ways, one of the interesting dynamics, sorry to ramble here, but one of the interesting dynamics is Block Island has a significantly older population than you may think. So when you actually look at the voter base here and the red and the um, residents, it is uh, a significant portion is over the age of 50. Um, oh, yeah. More than you'd think, like yeah. 65, 70 huh. percent. Um, and so and that has to do with younger people can't afford or I was going to say, I think our trajectory is probably going to even see that increase. You know, it's going to be harder and harder for, you know, I. Forget if I've ever said I've said in conversation, not I don't know if I said it during a podcast, but the houses that turn over, you know, I I was fortunate enough to with my mom together. We bought a house, raised two kids here, went to school either road. If I leave when when I leave the house to the kids, they're probably not going to be able to, you know, etch out a career here and live here year round. They're probably not going to. They're already started careers in the or if the property sells, it's probably not going to sell to another year in community. So I wonder if the family, the younger families, and you know, I wonder if the school population is going to slowly start to. I mean, I remember when it amped up from eighty kids to one hundred and forty, and it was cool, you know. But I, I wonder if we're going to start to see it go the other way, you know, in over the next decade or two. You know, I wonder if it's going to kind of go backwards as far as the younger working year-round community living here. And I think it's a fascinating subject. Also, what years, right? So, so K through, I'll call it K through eight, maybe one set, right? So, yeah. uh, and then high school, maybe another set, um, especially as as different requirements. But then again, broadband will change that as well, right? So yeah. there's there are a lot of pushes and pulls. But I think to the mental health comment or just to the health center, uh, you know, suddenly if you've got a large part of the population, and I'm over sixty. If you got a large part of the population over 60, that means there are definite pressures on the health system that are very different than they were 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and they just have to figure that out. Yep. How about uh, we, we're starting to get close to the closer to the end, so we do kind of have to wrap. start to wrap it up. But I mean, how, I'm here for hours. Okay. <laughs> Great. Or a second visit, or, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd love it. I'd love come it. back and eat, you know, um, we'll do another hour. The big day. question, everyone's uh, mopeds. Sure. What's up? Um, can't really talk about it. We yep. are, the town is in litigation. So, um, you know, my feeling, and I've been uh, very vocal about this uh, in the past, I I think mopeds by chance are um, a great way to see the island. I, I don't really have a problem with the concept of mopeds uh, at all. Um, I personally have a problem with, um, with uh, making sure, no, making sure that the, that, that people that use mopeds or use cars or yeah. use bicycles do it by the law yeah. and that they follow the rules. And I think that's the most important thing. I mean, I, I'll tell you, it frustrates the Dickens out of me. There's an aged word, I was, right? I didn't God. want to say anything, oh but God. it was pretty good. I like it. You Dickens gosh darn kids, yeah. Yeah. get off my lawn. Um, is when a bicycle blows through four corners. Absolutely. It is the most dangerous thing in the world. And, and bicycles don't stop. And yeah. it's almost like... You know, I don't need to get the finger that you're blowing through the thing. We've uh, we've talked about the Lance Armstrong syndrome. Yeah, yeah. right. We, we, Podcast yeah. before, yeah. And yeah. and so I'm going to put that on bikers and bicyclists. Excuse me, as much as a moped, as much as a car. Yeah. And so I think you got to follow the rules. You got to be respectful. 
in whatever you do. Right. And, and whatever the mode of transportation is, if you're respectful, have at it. Go right. for it. Yeah, it's when we're, you, we're it's putting when, together a do's and don'ts episode. And, you know, one of you know, a couple of things we talk, we want to talk about are, you know, the, you have to obey the traffic laws if you're on a bicycle. You're supposed to stop so, at stop signs. You're supposed yeah. to ride single file. You and don't not need pass to ride. on the right. Yeah, you're right. Not, you don't need to ride three wide. It just respect. It really is. So, so only because it's a podcast and I know you two pretty well. I I had a really <laughs> interesting conversation the other day because one of the things that that's about respect and you two know this because of your past is you know hey what happens with drinking on Block Island? Suddenly you've gotten people who have you know, had too much to drink and they, they aren't necessarily always respectful. And the conversation actually came up because as many of your listeners may know, uh, Rhode Island is right on the verge of, of legalizing marijuana. And, um, and I'm pretty sure it'll happen in the next few weeks or months. Uh, and it's happened in many neighboring states. So it, 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 it's sort of laying out there, right? And, the, and the, really the question that I was, or the discussion that I was in was, what will that mean for Block Island? Um, oh, and I thought a, your question was going to be, how much can I get at a time? <laughs> how is it now? A pound? Two pounds? No, I think it's just Someday yes, when I come yeah. back, we can talk about okay. my youth. But um, <laughs> when it's legal. But, um, hey, but I've I, been to Amsterdam. You guys are cool. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, I think, I think we have to make sure that people are respectful when they've been consuming alcohol, when whatever it is, we have to make sure people respect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's yeah. been my, it's been my experience. Um, you're, and I've had several friends with police officers and always said they'd rather deal a lot less problems often with people who, you know, smoke pot. with baked people, yeah, rather baked than people drunk tend people. to be a lot less of a problem than drunk people. Well, I'm not going to say now, if you dovetail the two together, you got no, a, that's a different, that's a whole different, a different animal altogether. Right. Those yeah. people shouldn't be allowed out of their house, right. well, but oh. you know. Well, or my house. Well, Sorry. How would I ever come do Sorry. the podcast then? <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I my think that way. was sort of where this that conversation I was in yeah. was going was. Would you rather have five people walking down Water Street, you know, taking their shirts off, screaming and yelling and hooting and hollering, or would you have five people that are stoned walking down the street? And <laughs> yeah. I know where I'd go. Yeah. A mm-hmm. uh, pretty quick, simple solution to me. I'm going to go look um, for four other people right <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, you know, I, I think, I think I know you said what are the top three things about Block Island. I think this idea, if we can all start working towards preserving what we love about Buck Island. It's going to change, right? Things have already changed yeah. significantly. So how do we preserve it? And and that then leads into a whole lot of, of, of other, you know, secondary issues. Yeah. Um, and I and I'm pretty sure we're all in agreement as to what that looks like. Yeah. We may change the nuance, but but what it looks like. And and um, and we, you know, the, the many people that are new out here, uh, for those listeners that don't know, there was about a 20% increase in enrollment in the school. Right. Uh, yep. So it went from about roughly 100 to about 120 something. And, and that was very due to COVID. But I don't think that's going back down to 100. I think it's going to be up at 105 or 110 as, as places open up. I think there's second language um, things that we need to start wrestling with a lot more, um, um, you know, and community um, embracing 
uh, uh, and education. So I think I, I think there's a lot of fun challenges ahead yeah. of us. Well, you're you're in an important role in a very interesting time in this island's history. That's for sure. We're on some kind of precipice or a threshold or something. Yeah. So. And the one thing I will say about the council, um, and I do know Andre's been. Um, I think he was uh, one of the podcasts, etc. Yeah. I think that um, we, the council, over the last. I'll say six, maybe, maybe well, actually pandemic was just weird because that was so much work to deal with the pandemic. But um, I think, I think the council is attacking and, and um, hopefully solving a lot of issues and, and um, whether, you know, there's some sort of congestion relief with, with some sort of shuttle program uh, that's been tackled and discussed a lot. Moped, you guys mentioned that's been, that's being discussed. Um, uh, you know, there's just a lot of topics right now that are being approached and being debated, and I think that's very healthy. So I think yeah. I think that's a good time. I also I do have to say that personally, I think there are some things that, in my okay, my opinion straight up, yeah, I think the talk of the chronic congestion downtown won't go away. It's not going to go away. No. And if you as soon as you make room, it's going to fill back in again. I think there's definitely room to work there if you could get cooperation from the ferry companies on how they direct the outflow. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. there's people who design theme parks so that not everybody goes right down the middle, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And yet it's set up for this down the middle run. Everybody comes in is it, that mixture of short-term pickup and drop-off, line up for to get on your car on the ferry, the lockers, the business, uh, the visitor center. That Taxi area stands. is crazy. Yeah. They've got the whole. They should flip a few things around there, like the pickup and drop-off. You know, send people. At any rate, I have my own ideas and opinions, but I just almost think like if we said to another town like Newport or Westerly. Oh, our our congestion problems insane. <laughs> They'd probably laugh at us. <laughs> They'd be like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> you know. And I mean, so I I kind of feel there's certain things that we should focus on. I mean, you'd be surprised. I'm a taxi owner. I know. And my volley was, "Go for it." If if we think a shuttle or a bustle, you know, I I don't want to do it. I don't want to be partners with 33 other taxi drivers. I was more about whatever the town wants to do is great. All it means is let's up our game and give better service as taxi mm -hmm. drivers. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, there's other solutions, but I said, don't. I'm of I'm of the mindset of I would do just about anything if it's what I feel is best for you know Block Island, and you know what? There's always more business. It never gets smaller. Yeah. You're not gonna you know a little competition for rides around the island. If something works out to be good, certain things I didn't think were good ideas, but uh, you know I just think that if there's a solution that's good and it and it's competition, it's competition. So that's the way it, you know. It's probably kind of a surprise is what you would think I would say versus what no. you said no. about mopeds. You yeah. know I mean? It's, you know, yep. so. I think that's one of the things too, that we like to try and do on this podcast is, you know, we interview people and a lot of our guests, you know, we're expecting a certain answer out of them and we get the something different, you know? And, uh, you know, it just goes to show you, you never know. That's why you got to talk things out. Absolutely. Know? So Absolutely. listen, thanks for talking with us today. Thank you guys Ryan. so much. And this has been great. Yeah, Absolutely. this has been a great yeah. conversation. Yeah. I really like it. Me too. Yeah. I learned a lot. Yeah. And I'd love to come back and, and uh, maybe we can do the podcast from my dad's house. Oh, that'd be fun. Oh my God, yeah. that'd cool. be cool. Yeah. Then Rich can't say he hasn't been there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to Mark. I want to do one from the back of our taxi, my taxi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like cool. Different people well. coming in and out. That would be cool. <laughs> but look, before we let you go, we do... Uh, something at the end of every episode called the lightning round. Okay. All right. So we're just going to ask you a bunch of stupid questions and you can give us uh, whatever pops into your head first as an answer. Okay. Sound all right? Yep. All right. Rich, you want to go or you want me to go? Uh, I'll go. Sure. Why okay, not? Okay, go ahead. Do you think handlebar mustaches are a good look? No. Have you ever eaten alpaca? Yes. 
Settler's Rock or Painted Rock? Settlers, by all means. <laughs> Sour Patch Kids or Swedish Fish? Fish. What's your favorite martial art? The martial. <laughs> <laughs> Would you ever consider a run at First Warden? Mm, probably not. Do you think Momo sleeps in the nude? I don't want to think about Momo. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> Good enough for us. Neither do we. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks for a great conversation and then taking time to sit with us. Yeah, uh, I hope our you. listeners appreciate it too. Listeners, thank you for listening to us again. Tell your friends, please spread the word if you like our podcast. Maybe they will too. Uh, thanks to our sponsors for helping keep this possible. And uh, please reach out with suggestions, comments. Um, throw it at us at our email at twoguysonbi at gmail.com. And make sure to uh, follow us on all of the usual social media outlets. And uh, please subscribe to our podcast on either apple podcast or spotify uh, wherever you listen to us and uh you know continue to tell your friends and uh, hopefully we can uh, bring some more uh, great episodes about block island to you and come to block island and come to block yeah. island yeah. respectfully and do some do some knitting and as you've heard Buy over and yarn. over shoulder season is lovely shoulder here. season shoulder season yeah it's a good one well anyway love it sven thanks a lot man it's thanks so much you up guys with you. thank rich, you see you next week see you next week all right brother Hey, Rich. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm going to try and uh, knit some mittens. Is your dog available and a pair of scissors? I can't. I don't see him. I think he's hiding. He maybe got that vibe mm-hmm. from you. Well, you know, if he shows back up. Uh, I'm going to try to knit a bong out of hemp. Ooh. <laughs> Is that Can I help? overlap there? Sure. <laughs> I don't know. Let's ask Sven. He's the smart one. <laughs> Have a great week, everybody. Right. See ya. I tell you what's up.